ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to another episode of the Outdoor Podcast, episode three to be exact of season two. I am Matt Mascarinas, your host, the host of the Outdoor Podcast. There's not really another host, I'm the only one. And uh, no, to the disappointment, my name is not Ed, it is Matt. So, <laughs> sorry to disappoint everybody, but uh, yeah. I um I hope everybody is still doing health is still staying healthy uh doing well in uh these crazy crazy goofy times we got here and I I uh I hope everybody's practicing a good uh social distancing situation, you know, whatever that may be. I don't know. Um I'm not going to tell you stay home not get out and go fishing cuz that's what we're talking about here today. I'm not going to tell you stay home and not go hunting. I'm not going to tell you to stay home, not go camping. I'm not going to tell you not to enjoy the outdoors, but please, please do it. And with the best intentions and, uh, I mean, just, we all know when we go fishing, we're, there's a good amount of social distancing anyways. You don't want to fish next, uh, within six foot of the person next to you. That's just not how we want to do things, right? Um, same thing, same goes as if you go, you go out hunting, you don't, we're not wanting to be next to or around, um, you know, (laughs) too close to anybody in that situation. So I think outdoors people, uh, we practice social distancing, uh, every time we are outdoors. So I'm not too worried about how the, the population or the people that enjoy, being outside and especially hunting, fishing and camping. We like to kind of, uh, distance ourselves anyway. So, um, again, I hope everybody's doing, uh, doing well, staying healthy and, uh, you know, following, just go with the flow, just go with the flow. So today's episode, episode three of the outdoor Ed podcast, fish camp hunt is, uh, a very fun episode. Uh, I got to sit down and uh, via Skype, obviously, uh, not, you know, not in the same room because, again, social distancing. Um, uh, Neil Wilkinson. Neil Wilkinson is a guide. Uh, he's the owner operator of Rocky Mountain Adventure Guide Service here in Colorado. And he is he's uh, also a three year uh, co-angler for the National Walleye Tour, the NWT, which is the walleye tour professional fishing walleye tour uh in the united states probably the most popular one uh the one that um stands out above the rest as you know you know bass b-a-s-s uh there they have their tournament then there's major league fishing i think flw still has their tournaments um and then you know on the walleye side you do have the mwc masters walleye circuit national walleye trail uh which is the like i said the big one and uh, Neil is a three-year co-angler. Uh, I think this would be his third season. He said um, of the National Walleye Tour, and he shares some very interesting stories, uh, cool experiences that he had uh, at you know participating in these events as a co-angler, and has some very good advice for those of you that are maybe young, maybe new in the. Um, in the hole and you want to get involved with tournament fishing listen to what Neil has to say it is some of the best advice that you can get um and uh i was really really happy to uh spend some time with Neil talking fishing today uh we also go over some shore fishing he uh has a 34 inch walleye uh catch and release record at one point there's some controversy behind uh the what what is considered a record now uh, but that's just because of the way Colorado does things here. We're, uh, when I say we're, we're the state Colorado, the Colorado Parks and Wildlife. Uh, they, they don't, they don't put a lot of stock into um, catch and release state records. Uh, the Master Angler Program is, I, I did say it's kind of a, you know, nah, but uh, it's, it's not bad. There's, there's just there, the verification process of these. Um, uh, simple or of these potential records, whether, whether it's catch and release, whether it's uh, 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 catch and keep the, there's not a lot of, 
um, vetting the vetting process, especially in the catch and release category. But uh, that's neither here nor there. It is what it is. If uh, there's a 38 inch walleye out there that somebody caught that was quote unquote verified by an intern, uh, an intern at best, sometimes it's just somebody who doesn't have anything to do that looks through these records that that tries to verify these things. And, uh, you know, so they don't understand what they're looking at. They don't know what um, the realistic, uh, (laughs) the real, the, 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 the fact that there could be that somebody could have caught a 38 inch walleye, they don't understand how big that is. Uh, I want to say there's even a 28 inch smallmouth bass on there as well. Uh, some spotted bass that uh, would, would uh, destroy, well, that 28 inch uh, smallmouth um, would destroy the world record. I, I, I imagine, but uh, there's just some ridiculousness going on when it comes to catch and release uh, records here in Colorado. But Neil, it's verified. He's got the the fish picture. He's got the measurements. He's got uh, the wall. Uh, as we did the Skype interview, uh, he's got the fish hanging on the wall behind him, and uh, it's just tremendous. So um, we talk shore fishing, uh, shore fishing for walleye in general, because that's kind of what we're doing. That's kind of the time frame uh, wherever you are. If the ice is off the water uh, and the season is open you have a very good chance of sticking some big pre-spawn walleye or in our, like in our case, they're in that almost into the post-spawn phase. So great information from Neil Wilkinson. Again, uh, I will put all his uh, contact information. He runs a a couple of Facebook pages on Facebook uh, and uh, that gives us, uh, us as anglers. And especially if you're coming here to Colorado, gives you an opportunity to uh, look and see what's going on. So I will leave links and, uh, uh, places where you can go and follow Neil and get a hold of him if you do want to book him for a guide trip after all this uh, COVID-19 stuff is um, kind of uh, kind of we kind of know what we're doing kind of know where we're going with it so uh, any other than that um, <clears throat> again get out there and get fishing and uh, like I said we were we as outdoors people uh, and anglers you know especially hunters um we got this social distancing pretty dialed in. So without further ado, um, and uh, I want to do, I, I do want to forewarn you that uh, I believe Neil might need to change his batteries in his smoke detector, a smoke alarm, I should say. Uh, there was some chirping in the background. So if you're curious about what that was, I tried to cut it down as best I could, but I actually had to amplify uh, some some of the the vocals because of how I recorded it and put it to here this editing uh, uh, software that I use I it uh, the sound got kind of muffled up so I had to amplify it so um, again <laughs> we got to get Neil to change his batteries and smoke detector but other than that it was a fantastic interview and I'm thankful he was able to do it uh, like I said without further ado uh, here is uh, my conversation with Neil Wilkinson of Rocky Mountain Adventure Guides. So Neil, one of your one of the biggest things that um, that you've kind of been uh, I mean I, I guess known for or your reputation got real big with with the shore angling, uh, especially catching big walleye at night. And what's what's what started that whole deal? Was it was it the the, the thinking of catching big fish at night? Or was it just another opportunity for you to get out and go target those big walleyes at night? Because that's something that, that you know, I, I knew you from back in the Colorado fishing days, uh, the forum days, uh, and then even Fish Explorer and stuff like that. So is that something that's, that kind of, what, what kind of got you going there? I mean, you're in, a, you're in a perfect part of town, part of state for it there, and a lot of opportunities for you. Did that was it the pressure, or not the pressure, but the, the the wanting to go catch a big fish? Is that kind of what got you going with the shore angling at night for walleyes? Yeah, I mean, I, I used to catch them by accident up in Wyoming. I used to fish up at Pathfinder, and we used to catch them while we were trolling. And I started catching some decent ones up there, and I kind of got the bug up there, and I kind of forgot about trout fishing <laughs> at that point. But anyway, back in Denver, um, you know, I fished whenever I could, but... I wasn't catching big fish. I was catching a lot of fish from shore, but nothing, you know, nothing to write home about. 
but I had a kind of a unique job. You know, I worked for, um, I was in the alarm business. So my day, I was basically on call from noon to 10 o'clock at night. So when I'd get off work, you know, doing paperwork for people's houses and stuff at, at 9, 30, 10 o'clock, it'd be like most guys getting off work at, you know, four in the afternoon. Yeah, I'm wide awake and ready to go. So I just started fishing at night and I did it for, oh God, probably eight, eight, ten years. And I caught a lot of fish, and but I just hadn't refined it to the point where I was catching big ones. And then I kind of, me and um, Don Broen and Jeff Hester became really good friends. And uh, we called her, and Jeremy Cooley. And we all started, you know, fishing together in pairs and comparing information stuff. And we were all catching a lot of fish. But I had the access to be able to go out at I'm, I'm older than those guys. And then I didn't have the family responsibilities that they had. My my boys are grown up. So I was able to go out more than everybody. And that's when it was weird. I, I tried so hard to get a 10-pounder. And when I got that first one, I got three in like that month. You know, it's kind of like when it rains, it pours kind of thing. But, um, yeah, I mean, that's my job. I had a unique job. So if I wanted to stay out till 1 or 2 in the morning, I could. And I, and I did a lot. Nice. So it was almost out of like... And that that's kind of how uh, a lot of us were, were we started out like working working folks, right? I mean, we, we we plan our fishing trips around our work schedule, home life, family stuff like that. And that's kind of how like I got I I got into night fishing is my schedule changed, so I had no other choice, you know, but to go outside and, and go fish at night. But I was always you know catfishing. Um, uh, maybe, maybe a little bit of night fishing for bass, you know, throw top water, stuff like that. But walleye for me really didn't get kicked off until I started reading things on forums and, and, uh, you know, fish explorer, I mentioned Colorado, uh, fishermen, you know, a lot of those guys. And, and you were, you were one of, like you mentioned, Don Braun, uh, Cooley, uh, Hester and those guys around here locally of local fame, uh, here around Colorado. And that's, that's where I was like, oh, I, I'm already out there. I might as well start to try to target these fish at night. Now, when you, you said you ran into by accident almost a walleye, how long did it take for you? Uh, was it a mixture of kind of getting with those guys that you mentioned and then kind of de- developing your own uh, way, to, way to target these, these walleye at night, you know, with um, whatever it is you were, you were using? Because if you're targeting trout or even catfish, t- tactics are totally different in some oh, senses. Yeah. So. How did you kind of go about targeting specifically for the walleye? Well, I just basically um, YouTube, reading as much as I could. I read everything I could find, you know, about walleyes. And just spending a lot of time on the water, you know, I'd try different things. And if it didn't work, I'd throw that out of my tackle box and put new stuff in. I, I, um, I caught a fish one night that had, it was only, I don't know, maybe 27 inches long. And to be honest with you, Matt, I've probably caught hundreds that size at night. I just count the 10-pounders. But I caught one, the 27-incher, that had an 8-inch shad down in its throat, and it still hit my jerkbait. And I was kind of like, well, shit, man, I'm using two small lures. So I really upsized everything I did. And um, they hit most of my fish that I catch at night, and to be honest with you, I haven't been fishing much at night the last two years because of my guide service, and also this this year I'm in quarantine because I've been really sick, so I can't go out and fish, and I should be in We all should be in quarantine, but um, anyway, I um, I started upsizing everything I did. You know, instead of throwing four-inch jerk baits, I went up to six, you know, I'd buy pike-sized lures, you know, and I'd most of my fish hit real shallow, like right at my feet, which means they've been following it. And um, I just feel that, and I told you this last year when we did the seminar, that um, they, they, they feel your bait long before they ever see it. So that's why I quit getting so hung up on colors. You know, I got colors that I like, that I know work, but I, a big fish like that, he's going to hear you 20, 30 yards away. That's why I like baits with rattles, especially when it's windy. And... Um, They'll follow it, and when you get close to the bank, they have to decide to let it go or take it. And those fish, you know, they're not out there chasing two-inch shad all night. That's not how they got big. That's a waste of energy. They want big baits. You know, they're used to swallowing stalker trout, seven, eight-inch perch, big shad, like I told you. 
And once I realized that, it changed everything. I started using, I mean, people would laugh at some of the stuff I was throwing until, you know, I started catching fish in front of them and they weren't, you know. And um, anyway, that's, that changed the whole game for me. And um, plus it's patience, you know. Most people don't have the patience. If I go out, if I go out three nights in a row and not catch anything, I wasn't deterred in the least bit. In my mind, it means, okay, I'm due. Tonight's probably the night I'll catch one. A lot of people would say, well, you know, I got to work. I can't be spending all this time, you know, at night fishing. That's another thing where my job actually, you know, it actually helped me, you know, because it gave me the time to get out there when no one else could be out there. And I tried to stay away from people, too. One of the things I find at night is, you know, people, the headlamps are just obnoxious, you know. It just looks like a concert going off on the dam some nights, you know. And uh, those guys hardly ever catch big fish, and um, they ruin it for everybody else. So I also tried to find little out-of-the-way places, you know, that even on big lakes like Chatfield, there's little places that you can get away from everybody where fish go, especially once you get past the spawn. Once you get in that post-spawn period when they start feeding again, they're not going to all be by the dam and stuff. So if you, it helps you to get away from everybody else. Now, you, there's a bunch of things you mentioned that I want to hit on, but I, I want to I talk about, like you just said, uh, after the spawn. Now, did you notice that you would catch these bigger fish? Because obviously it sounds like you're going out for that one bite, that one yeah. big bite. And That's you're all I cared about. Not um, but if you come, if you go out and you, did you notice that the bite was better pre-spawn or post-spawn? Bite's really slow pre-spawn, but if you do catch a fish, it's still got its eggs in it. If you wanted to catch a state record and weigh it and kill it, you obviously would want to be fishing during spring. But what I found is, you know, post-spawn, they actually, after they've recovered a week or so after they've spawned, they have to start eating. And you see all these skinny, like you're starting to see them right now on Facebook. People posting pictures of walleyes that are really skinny. That's because of just the rigors of the spawn. It almost kills a lot of them. But they have to eat after that. And like I said, they can't waste energy chasing a little two-inch shad around all night and swallow a hundred of them. They need to eat something substantial. And um, that's what you should give them. Perfect. And that, that's what, that's like you going up those big baits and stuff like that. A lot of people won't. They get nervous, and, and as far as, ah, this is too big, this is too big, they're not going to eat it. They're not. But like you mentioned, like you said, that I think that's a critical point with a lot of this is they're not going to waste their energy that they've already wasted spawn, during the spawn for a little meal. So give them a big meal. Uh, you mentioned the headlamps. Now, my experience and my education with night fishing for walleye is headlamps are a big no-no. Now, you can have the red light come on, you know, if 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 you need to have light. But I was always taught or I learned that you learn how to tie knots in the dark almost uh, or use braided line and, 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 and snaps or something like that to make it easier for yourself because it can be cold and your hands can get cold. It's tough to tie knots. But I have I have seen so many examples of people catch big fish and people who catch a lot of fish, but they never catch big fish. And one of the big things, the difference is that damn headlight. And you mentioned it right there that, um, and I've experienced whether on shore or in the in a boat, you flip that headlight on. There's a big, there's a big that big eye of that big big giant walleye that you might have on or might be coming in, and it glimpses any of that light, and it and it and it just it, it'll deter it and send it away. So. That's a great point. Now, what are some of the things that you that you use? I mentioned the red light um, to 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 be more efficient in the dark. Do you take do you you use snaps? Do you have tie braided line? Do you you're yeah. good knots? What are some of the things you do? My basic setup when I fish at night is I have two um, seven foot medium heavy spinning rods and a big like three thousand series Stratic reels on them, and I have a twenty pound braid. And then about a three or four foot liter of um, fluorocar- 15 pound fluorocarbon. Because lots of times when those fish hit, they hit right next to you. So you've got all the leverage when that happens. If you can keep your composure, <laughs> sometimes it's hard to do when you're getting splashed by a fish. But when you hook one right next to shore like that, you have all the leverage. So that's why the heavy leader might, I'll surf their butt right up onto the sand. I'm not in it for the glory of the fight. You know, if I want the fight, I'll fish for wipers or stripers. 
I want to catch the big ones. And that's when you have the most advantages right there when they're right in front of you. They're disoriented when you set the hook. So the best thing you can do is try to get their head a little bit up high in the water column and surf them right onto the beach if you can. And also it's better for the fish. They don't fight and they don't thrash as much and hook themselves with the other hooks because if you're using a big jerk bait, you're probably talking three sets of trebles if you're doing it right. Um, you don't want those hooked in the gill plate or anything. So when you have one hit right at your feet like that, it's all the odds are in your favor if you take the fight to them immediately and just get them up on shore as quickly as you can, measure them, get a good picture, get them right back in the water. Quick release. That's awesome. Um, do you – now, I know dam situations, if you're on riprap, riprap dams, riprap shorelines, you're probably not going to want to wait out. But do you in, – in some I, cases, you don't wait at all? I've never waited. Okay. I, and I've heard I've heard back and forth different different folks that you know they yeah. go out there are waiters and they try to get as far close to the edge and and you you've already said it a bunch of times why you don't need to do that because no. you have that the fish will bite at the almost at the end of your cast so why are you gonna go out there and kind of muddy up those those areas have you noticed that yeah and and, and even if you think you're being quiet you're not right. you know that's the same thing with boats like in the spring. Um, unless it's a full moon and you can see really well and you can be way offshore to cast, there's almost no advantage to being in a boat because if you come shallow in your boat, they, they sense that and you're not, you'll catch a bunch of little males, which will make people think they're on fish and they'll sit there all night catching those things. Those big fish didn't get that big by being stupid. And um, if you're on standing on shore and you're quiet, they don't know you're there. And I know that because I couldn't tell you how many I mean, hundreds of times I've had giant fish come right feet when I pass asleep and splash me, miss the lure and hit, just throw water at me with their tail. Scares the hell out of you. I was fishing with Jeff Hester one night last year and he had one do that. His jerk bait was almost at his feet and I heard this loud explosion <laughs> and I heard it. I won't repeat what he said because I can't on here, but. Um, anyway, that fish gave him a shower. Um, but anyway, they're in shallow. I mean, if they're eating, they're in shallow. Um, but that doesn't mean that I still cast out, you know, because the ones that are feeding on trout silhouette silhouette trout against the surface. So those ones that, you know, if the trout's out there over 15 foot of water, a walleye can be laying there or swimming on the bottom and look up and see him and come up and take him. And that's a whole different kind of hit. When that happens, all I feel is that little tick, and when I feel it, you know, if you set the hook, that's why the braid comes in so handy. But, um, you know, you just keep um, as little noises you can make. I do have a headlamp and flashlights. I just don't use them. Like, if I need to tie something, I'll go up the bank 10, 15 yards where I have my ta all my tackle stashed, and I'll, you know, I'll, I, won't, I will never point a light towards the lake. There's no, why would you do that? Right. You know, I do that. I shine it on my tackle, tie the knot, do what I, I've had to perform half-ass surgery on my hand at night, taking trebles out with pliers in the dark. So tying a knot is not that big of a deal. I know all about that too. It's uh, usually the first fish of the year does that to me. I'll, I'll, I'll set a treble right through my knuckle or something, something crazy like that. Yeah, it's, it's crazy, but and you and you mentioned something too that uh, that I've noticed and uh, fishing with a mutual friend of ours, um, where I'm 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 using now and I'll ask you this 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 will be kind of an, an experience of mine but and also a question for you. So I like to use floating jerk baits and I know a lot of people like to use the suspenders and whatnot but I'm I'm especially this time of year the spring I like to use those floating jerk baits and I have got way more strikes way more hits with that bait is kind of sitting at top on top of the water uh, on the surface than i have with a with something suspended something in the middle of the water column have you noticed that is that do you use particular floating baits or do you kind of mix it up i have a couple of floating baits that i use um but i don't use them until um post-spawn okay pre-spawn the water's so cold that, but to be honest, you know, there's only a couple of lures that I, everybody, you know, everybody throws rogues. Rogues are a great bait when the water's cold, you know, from like 38 to 45 degrees. 
One, um, I don't throw them. I have some other baits that I like, a, a number 12 X wrap and a couple other baits that is what I use. But once you get past, once the water gets to that, you know, like 48 to 50 degree way post spawn, like you're in April, I also throw in, um, I have some number 13 floating Rapalas and some number 18 floating Rapalas. And I basically wake those. Gotcha. Because fish are a lot more aggressive. The waters, they're, they're trying to recover from the spawn. They're more active. Their metabolisms are going because the water's warming up and they need to eat. They will come up and smack a, a, a good old-fashioned balsa bait that's been catching fish for, what, 50 years? You know, I mean, I was throwing floating Rapalas when I was nine years old. Yeah. You know, and they still, they work just as good today as they did back then. Just throw the big ones. Right. And like you're saying, just wake them, you know. You want them to make a commotion on the surface. They're not going to dive very deep anyway, what, maybe two feet? Yeah, yeah. Every once in a while, too, I'll take a bait like that, and I'll stop, and I'll pop it. Mm. You know? And if it's windy, I prefer, you know, like, there's a lot of wave action. I prefer one that sinks. The more wave action there is, the windy it is, more current there is, the better ra I like rattles. And I have baits that have rattles and baits that don't. But, like, when I caught my big fish, um, it was a night I was watching a thunderstorm come in, and I knew it was going to get really nasty pretty quick. And the, the wind started blowing about 50 miles an hour, and I had giant waves crashing at my feet. And I kept throwing regular jerk baits out, and I couldn't get them to sink because of the current and the wind. So I had one bait that I had had really loud rattles. And uh, so I big bait. I threw it out there, and I fished it um, like a rattle trap, basically. I got it down as deep as I could. And I popped it like every second, just ripping it hard, so to try to make up for the noise of all the waves. And that big fish smoked it about two feet in front of me as I was getting ready to lift it out of the water. Jeez, how and big I was that fish? fish it. How big was that big fish? Uh, Thirty-four inches long and twenty-two inches girth. Good night. And that was caught, photo, and release, correct? Yeah, they gave me the state record for catch and release. And then they changed the rules, and I don't want to get into that because that's yeah, that's either here. We could go, we could go off. There's just no, and I've I've done it before uh, on this podcast. Uh, Colorado does not have a very good system of master anglers, uh, master angler awards, or or even catch and release state records. It's just not what it could be. But uh, like I said, that's neither here nor there. So yeah, the thing that's disappointing about that is, you know, I took me what. 12, 15 years to catch that fish. I mean, I used to tell some of my friends, you know, someday I'm going to break that record. And they'd all kind of laugh. I was like, have another beer, Neil, you know, kind of thing. And uh, and I did. You know? <laughs> and now I don't have it. So it's a sore spot with me. But you know, um, I've got other things I want to accomplish. But I still have that fish. It's um, you people here on the podcast can't hear it, but you can see. My two yeah. biggest ones are above the bar there, and that's one of them. Um, anyway, there's there's lots of places to fish. I'm trying to learn, kind of expand and do other things, you know, while, I, while I'm still young enough to do them. But those, yeah, I still love the night fish. You mentioned you're a guide now. Um, yeah. So Rocky Mount Adventure Guides, uh, kind of uh, give us a, a rundown about that, how long you've been in service, and, okay. um, you know, things like that. Well, this would this will be my fourth um, year. My first year, I applied for my permits and got my license and everything, and I was ready to go. But the state took forever because I was a first-time guide to get my paperwork done. So they didn't actually get my paperwork to me to where I was an actual guide. It took them like 90 days, and I didn't know what I was doing. But uh, so it was like June when I became certified, and then my mom got sick, and I had to go to North Carolina, and. Um, I didn't really get to fish that much that first year. I took a few people out. I mostly fished myself just to, you know, just to, I already knew Pueblo pretty well, but I really wanted, you know, if you're a guide, you got to know every square inch of your lake. And uh, so that's what I concentrated on the first year. Second year, I did pretty well. Last year, I was really busy. And uh, this year was shaping up to be a great year, you know, so who knows what's going to happen right now. I'm kind of taking it a day at a time. Um, I'm telling my customers just, you know, we're not going to do anything, obviously, be, you know, before April 15th. And uh, any time past that is all up in the air, you know. I'll 
I'm keeping in contact with everybody that's already booked trips and letting them know. And, you know, they have to worry about their own safety, too, not right. just, you know. So we'll see what happens. I wouldn't be surprised. I've been sitting here on Facebook all morning watching, and everybody's out fishing in groups and stuff. That's and uh, it's going to get – they're going to close down the ramps, I, I got a feeling, because, you know, you, you can't – people, they're just – everybody's going to push it to the limit. And I got a feeling that the, they're eventually going to close the parks and shut down the ramps anyway. I mean, we'll see. I hope not. And and we've been talking about it through Messenger. You know, we got a little group chat we got, and we've been chatting about it that uh, this could potentially go down. And and it's unfortunate. I've been watching the lakes that I go to in particular, and they're they're closing down the visitor centers, the nature centers. They're closing down the majority of any, um, any park activities, but they're leaving the boat ramps open. And I even read one where there's no rangers, anybody on duty, on staff, which is surprising that they left the boat ramps open in that sense. Usually yeah. they'll shut it down and close everything down. So I don't – yeah, I'm I'm nervous about it, but, um, you know, it, it's just it's just one of those things that we, we got to go with the flow in a sense right now so they don't close things down. We can still go out and enjoy these things. Yeah. But uh, we're just – we're at the mercy of, of time right now, I guess, so to speak, so – well, I, you know, I, I got sick, I think it was like right around February 10th, and then I went in after two weeks, I had the flu really bad, and um, I went in to see the doctor again, and uh, I thought I had pneumonia, and she said I didn't have pneumonia, but I had a really bad bronchitis, so she put me on like the third drug I'd been on, oh. and I was sick for another two weeks, and um, I'm still not a hundred percent. I, you know, my lung capacity is in bad shape and like, and they've told me to stay home yeah. you know, while this is going on. And so I'm going to do what they tell me to do. Um, yeah. hopefully this will be over and I, but I'm going kind of, cr- well, I was looking forward to doing this today cause I've been going kind of crazy. Yeah. I've got, I've got sponsors and stuff sending me my kits and stuff for the year and everything. And I can't, you know, I'm just going back into the office man cave and filing everything. I can't even fish it, you know, it's uh, no. really fresh. It is. Yep. I've, I've had to cancel a lot of clinics, a lot of seminars and, um, you know, things of that nature. So I'm right there with you. Um, kind of talk about, uh, one thing we haven't mentioned yet is, um, your, your tournament, uh, your walleye tournament, uh, participation, I guess you want to call it. Um, uh, you've been a co-angler for, I, I want to say three seasons. Or is this it four? Going on four. This, this would have been the third. So and I'm not, they haven't canceled it yet, but you know right. who knows? I know the first tournament's going to get canceled. That's here pretty quick, April thirtieth or something like that, yeah. and uh, Chamberlain. Chamberlain, yeah. So, um, and that's the the was it NWT National Walleye Tour, Cabela's National Walleye Tour, something like that. So, and that's a big that's a big that that's the biggest walleye tournament in the nation, in the well, United yeah. States right now, right? If you're a walleye fisherman. That's the Super Bowl, and yeah. then you got M- you got MWC also too, the Masters Walleye Circuit too as well. So really we don't good hear too. a lot about co anglers, and you that's and that's the way to do it. Like you're going yeah. about it the right way. You're going and learning from these pros. You're getting on their boat. You're fishing with them. You're kind of almost in a sense like uh, it depends on what boat you get on, I would imagine. But yeah. um, like a, a first mate or a deckhand almost. You know, you, you just you let me know what you need me to do. It's your you know, where do you want me to set the boards? Where do you want me to set the, the trollers? How do you want me to jig? Blah, blah, blah. So kind of give us a little uh, intel, uh, insight into your first, you know, season, and then sure. kind of where you are now. Well, about, about three years ago, uh, during the winter, um, my wife and I were, you know, I watch fishing shows incessantly, and I was watching the National Wildlife Tour. And that day, they were going up Lake Sakawea, and some of the guys were traveling 100 miles to get to water that was like five degrees warmer up towards the Missouri River. And I was just fascinated because, you know, our lakes are basically glorified ponds down here. And I was watching it, and um, I told my wife, I said, oh, man, I would love to someday compete at that level. You know, I don't have any big water, the big water experience like they have. And, um, well, she goes, she um, she looked it up and she goes, you should fish as a co-angler for a couple of years and get that big water experience. And, 
so I did it. Uh, I've done it two full seasons. It's been great. Each summer I travel about five weeks out of the summer. I've got to, to actually um, um, practice on some of the different pros teams that I've that I've been paired with. That you know we hit it off, and so they let me come up a week with them and practice. Like last year, I got to fish for five days with Keith Kabayas. That's cool. Just getting up every morning and going fishing with him, and you know I've learned a ton about current, the Great Lakes. Uh, Everybody thinks they've been in big waves <laughs> until they've been on Lake Huron when it's blowing. And this year we were supposed to go to Erie. I was really looking for that because I guess it can get really hairy. But um, I've got the fish dove. But my first tournament I showed up to um, uh, was at Winnebago, Wisconsin. That was two years ago, the first one. And my first day I got Ed Stokowski right out of the box. Oh, nice. Champion two years before. And uh, we had a great day, and as a matter of fact, I fished with him a lot that year, practiced on his team. We, you know, we're still good friends. Um, I had a great season. I ended it at um, as a co. Um, um, I'm sorry. We were at Devil Lake for the championship, and uh, I got to go out with, you know, the leader. I got to go out, and he weighed in, I think he weighed in like 28 pounds, five yeah. fish limited, 28 pounds on, on, on day one. So he's in first place. So there's $100,000. It's actually a lot more money than that. You win a tournament like that, that's, you're going to win about ninety dollars to $100,000, and then you're probably going to double or triple that with sponsors and everything later. But he, uh, so he's in first place. So I'm his co-angler on day two, and I'm like all nervous because like, you know, I don't want to be the guy that knocks off his winning fish with a net or something like that. And uh, plus, um, they had drones and a, a camera boat following us around all day because he was in first place. And we were sitting there the first morning. We pulled up on this hump, and I'm sitting there jigging, and I hear this buzzing sound. And I look up, and there's a drone above my head, like <laughs> maybe 20 feet away watching me fish. <laughs> it was really weird. And then um, then they actually put a guy in the boat with us, and then they took him out. After they took him out of the boat, we pulled up on this other hump, and I caught about, there was about a five-pounder. And um, Jim was netting the fish for me, and that was like our fifth one. So we at least had our five, you know, we did one of the five that we needed, but we at least had five good ones to weigh in. Well, right as he was netting his fish, he had put his rod down at the front of the boat with, with his jigging rod just hanging there. And as he netted my fish, I happened to look, and I saw his rod getting dragged over the side of the boat. So I ran over there and dove and just barely got his rod, and there was like another five-pounder on it. And the camera crew caught the whole thing. And so the next, the next fall when the TV show was on, they actually show that sequence where he's netting my fish. Um, it was a great day. I think we weighed in like 18, 19 pounds. It wasn't enough because Dylan uh, Nossbaum was 36 pounds that day. Uh, but Jim still got third, I think, you know, and we had fun. I've learned so much. You know, anybody in Colorado that would like to fish in the NWT, you really should go as a co for two or three years. I don't, um, even if you have a big boat and, you, you know, you think you're ready, that's fine. You know, I mean, people learn the hard way. But um, if you don't have any experience in the Great Lakes, it's like I, I can't even really describe it. It's yeah. like fishing on a different planet. But, you know, once you learn how to, you know, navigate those lakes and learn waves. I mean, last year on Green Bay, I was out on six. That's the first time I'd ever been in a legitimate six-foot wave. You know, people always say they're in five-footers and stuff. It's like, no, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> I was in a I was in a, um, a Ranger, a 620 in six-foot waves, and it was – I, sh I have pictures of it on my page. Yeah. You see where the bow of the boat's way up in the air, and we're getting ready to get slammed. And that was at the marina as we were coming in, you know. So you got to be really careful. you got to know what you're doing. And um, so if – but anybody can be a co-angler. Um, you know, you have to pay to get in, and then they choose the co-anglers um, usually a week before the tournament, which is kind of hard because you have to plan your schedule, especially right. for me being a guide, you know. I have to, I'm lucky because I do get, I have another pro that, that sponsors me and that's to make sure that I get in the tournament. But um, for somebody else, you know, you have to plan that around your schedule and there's not a hundred percent guarantee you're going to get in. But if right. you get in uh, as a co, 
it's like grad school for walleye fishing. Yeah. It's the best money you'll ever spend in your life. And it's fun. I mean, like I say, I spend five weeks a year on the road living in the hotels, fishing every day. I know, I, you know, I've got to know all my, you know, if you're a golfer and you got to know all the guys on the PGA, it's the same thing, man. I get to get up in the morning, climb the boat with them and fish. I've learned. And I, you know, I, once I'm on the water, I mean, once we get to the place to fish, walleyes are walleyes, you know. But, um, it's the, the hard part about it is just, you know, it's really, you got to learn boat control. You got to have a big boat. My one's a 20 footer, but it's aluminum and it's under power. It's great for Colorado, but it's only got 175 Merc. Right. Merc. You got, you know, if you're going to be traveling 23, 25 miles in the morning before you even fish, you need a big motor that can power through those waves and you need a fiberglass boat to absorb the shock and, you know, um, I, don't, I don't know I think I told you this story maybe last year. Two years ago, I was at the World Championship at uh, Lake of the Woods, mm-hmm. fourth and final tournament of the year, and a cold front went through the night before. And they told us that morning when everybody was launching that there was going to be that it had to be really careful because the wind had been blowing out of Canada, and it's 30 miles from the Rainy River to the islands where we were planning on fishing that morning. Because the, the, the strategy there is they have a really weird limit in Minnesota. You can only catch, you can catch five fish, but any fish between 19 and a half and 28 inches has to go back. Yeah. Which is why there's so many big fish. But that makes it really hard because you got to get the best four that you can get uh, under nine, 19 and then get a big one out in the basement. And actually getting the big one out in the basement is the least of your problem. That's actually kind of easy. I caught a 10-pounder my first day in practice, like 20 minutes into the day. It's yeah. catching those big, not you know, those 19-inchers. So to get those 19-inchers, the fat ones, you got to go all the way. We don't have to, but the islands is where we found them in practice. So my partner, um, he had that day, he had Gary Mayer, who a lot of people probably know him if they follow the walleye tour. He's got a lot of experience, really good fisherman. He has a big Ranger 621. And um, we were coming down the Rainy River, and when you get come down the Rainy River to go out onto, it's just a giant basin, Traverse Bay, mm-hmm. of Lake Woods, and it's 30 miles to the Canadian side and to the islands. So you got to, um, there's like some barrier islands out in front of that protects the harbor and the river. So it's nice and calm in there. <laughs> but the wind had been blowing all night from the north. Yeah. So that means those waves had 30 miles to uh-huh. gain momentum. And uh, as we came through the opening and the barriers, as far as I could see, my vision could take me was like five foot waves or bigger. Oh, man. Um, and I looked at Gary and was like, we're going to go through that? And he goes, yeah, we're going to try. Oh. <laughs> and I, to be honest, I was scared. It was the first time I've ever really been, you know, scared in a boat. And, um, but we made it out there, you know, and, but it, I mean, we got the hell beat out of us. And I can't even imagine doing, you know, doing that in an underpowered, well, you couldn't do it in an underpowered boat. And you, you got to have fiberglass to take the shock of those big waves, or you got to buy a 21, 22 foot lund and spend a hundred grand. I mean, that's what you got to have to compete in that level. So that's my next thing is I'm going to hopefully next year I can get the boat, sell my boat and get the the one I need to, to go on the pro side. I'm hoping they don't cancel this season. Right. There's a couple of new waters I'll get to fish. That's just even more experience on my part. But I've already got to fish Devil's Lake twice for a week at each time. Wow. I've got to fish Lake Huron twice a week at each time. And one of those weeks I spent with Keith Kavayat. So yeah. I've learned a lot. And I've, um, you know, I, I went 30 miles out of Saginaw Bay, past the islands, out into the Great Abyss with Ed Stokowski, oh. a 20 foot boat, ocean liner cargo ships going by us and everything. Um, it's been an experience. I hope they don't cancel the whole season, you know, cause I've been, I, you know, it's the time I get to fish. Right. Because I'm guiding, you know, <laughs> I'm baiting hooks and, you know, unsnagging lures and doing that kind of stuff, you know, and this, I get to do nothing but fish and learn from the best. So it's been a huge, it's been an incredible experience for me. Yeah. That that's man. I can't, just, just the big water, and that—that's the biggest thing. Is that like uh, the biggest water lake I've ever been on w- would be McConaughey. Yeah, and and I mean, I've had times 
in my boat and I got an 18 and a quarter yeah. uh, lunt and that's perfect for that kind of situation. But even in that boat, I've, there was a couple times I kind of, you know, squirt, squirt, got, got a little Hershey squirts in my drawers there on yeah. getting some stuff going. So I can't, I can't even fathom what it would look like in big water uh, out on Green Bay or out on the Great Lakes. I can't even fathom. The most spectacular place, Lake of the Woods is incredible, but I think the most spectacular place I've been to is last year we went to Sault Ste. Marie. So yeah. if, you look, um, if you look on a map, Lake Superior empties, in the, look for the town of Sault Ste. Marie. That's where Lake Superior drains through the boat docks, you know, where they bring all the, the big um, um, carrier ships from Lake Superior. Uh, um, they go through those locks. And then there's a river system with a bunch of that oxbow lakes connected to it that goes for like 30 miles until it dumps into the northern end of Lake Huron. So technically, everything um, south of the locks is Lake Huron. You, you can be 100 yards from Lake Superior, but if you're launching your boat on that side of the locks, you're on Lake Huron and the, those river systems. So not only do you have to know, have good maps and know how to navigate all that stuff, you have to know how to fish in current. Yeah. which no one in Colorado does. You know, we, we you think of so current out here hardly. Yeah, yeah, we think current is like wave action and stuff. But these wave. are huge, just huge systems. Um, I was on this one little oxbow lake that was just nothing but like a, it was like a 10,000 acre weed bed. Wow. Off the river. And they're yeah. just, they're just loaded with pike. You know, I mean, they're, I got, you know, same with Devil's Lake, man. If you wanted to go and just in the spring and fish for pike, I wouldn't spend money to go to Canada. I'd drive to Devil's Lake and fish there for a week and uh, upsize your baits and stuff because they're just, they're everywhere. There's millions of them. Wow. I lost probably $100 worth of jigging wraps before the tournament even started at Devil's Lake because of pike bite-offs. Ugh. You know, everything I'd put down, you know, I'd catch a couple of fish and then all of a sudden I'd had my line would go lamp. It's like, shit, you know, <laughs> I mean, they're, yeah, like they're everywhere and there's big ones too. And hardly, you know, everybody's there to fish for walleyes and perch and stuff, you know, but there's just, if you just wanted to go and catch pike and not have to go to Canada and not spend an arm and a leg, go up to Devil's Lake. It's a 15 hour drive from here. There's big smallies in there too, isn't there? I don't. There's not supposed to be. That doesn't mean there isn't. There's some of the lakes around it, though, that have smallmouths. Devil's Lake is the weirdest place I've ever been because there's no inlet. Really? All the water seeps out of the ground. That whole part of the state is like a giant sponge. And it finally, when the the water table gets so saturated, it bubbles up into um, Devil's Lake. So there's not like a river feeding it or anything. And that's why it's been growing. It, you know, for like 20 years, though, it like tripled in size. And mm-hmm. if you turn your sonar on, if you know what you're doing, some of the farmers, you know, they got paid by the government for their for their farms. They left their tractors and stuff in the fields. So you'll be sitting there on sonar and you'll see tractors and stuff down at the bottom that they, they just left there. And wow. those are also good to fish sometimes, too. You know? <laughs> And uh, it's a weird lake. Um, all the farms, if you drive around North Dakota, you'll see out in the farm fields, there's big, giant piles of white rocks that have been collected and, like, put into one place that looks like an island. Well, the farmers did that before they lost their land to the uh-huh. big flood. So now, if you know the, these guys that know the lake, I'm starting to learn it. I know where a few of these places are. But you can see those rock piles on your sonar. And you'll have like mud, you know, you'll have it's 20 foot deep for hundreds of yards around you, no structure, it's just mud. And then all of a sudden there's one of those piles. Wow. <laughs> you can find them, there's fish all over them. Wow. There's flooded That's highways. Cool. There's like they call it the golden highway. Yeah. If you can see it, the water, when the water's clear, you can actually see the road embankments and stuff. That's a great place. Um, my first day fishing there, not knowing what I was doing, I just followed it, trolling shad wraps. Caught a bunch of fish, you know. Wow. It's just a really cool play. There's, they go to so many cool spots, you know. And this year, they were going to a bunch of – the only one that's a repeat this year is Green Bay, which is fine because I got my butt kicked in Green Bay last year. And um, so I'm like really looking forward to going back. And, you know, I think I learned a lot. We'll see. Yeah, yeah. well, 
I mean, it sounds like that, like I would, you, you've given so much uh, great tips, especially if you want, if you're aspiring to be a professional walleye angler, um, get involved as a co-angler, get out there and go and, and just show up ready to learn. Like don't put, check your ego at the door, right? Would you, would you say that a thousand times, especially going out there with some of those guys? If you bring an ego to that, you're a fool. They'll, they'll eat you <laughs> and alive. They won't, and, you know, they won't respect you either. But right. if you come and you're and you're honestly, they know you're there to help them because you're helping them on right. the day of the tournament. You know, you have to be a professional whether you are or not, you know, because if you make a mistake and knock off, you know, that's why I got so nervous the first time I had to net people's fish. I've netted a million fish in my boat. I've never been so nervous as that day with Jim Carroll when I had to net his. And you don't you don't even think about it, do you? When when you're guiding, you know, I guided for a couple of years, and and you don't even think about it. You don't even think about it. you just put the net out there. You know what you're doing. But I bet in that situation, it's running through your head. Okay, don't stab. Okay, let okay. it come in. Yeah, and and they're worried too if if they've never fished with you before, because they you know they don't know if you have any skill or not. Uh, the first day I went out with Ed Stakowski, this is a funny story. Do we have time? Yeah, yeah, keep going. I'm on Lake Winnebago with Ed Stokowski the very first, my very first day of the NWT, and we don't even know each other yet. And um, I run, we run up, and we're fishing under a bridge on the Fox River above the lake, and the current there is just unreal. I mean, you can't even imagine the volume of water that these systems push. So we're sitting there at the base, the pillar of this highway um, bridge, and there's a bunch of big walleyes. You can see them on the sonar. They're laying down there in the rocks. And so um, we knew it was going. Everybody was having a hard time fishing, and uh, I really wanted to catch something right off the bat, to, just to prove, you know, that I wasn't yeah. an imbecile, you know, yeah. that I, that he wasn't just stuck with me, that I might actually help him out that day. So I'm sitting there jigging, and I feel a kick. I set the hook. Sure enough, three or four giant hook um, head shakes, and I go, Ed, I got a big one on. So he comes running to the back of the boat, and it, it came on right there. So I didn't know 25 yards was um, you know, the hottest one in the world right now. And they're filming for the NWT. There's a film crew in his boat, and he's 25 yards over my shoulder, and I didn't even realize he was there. So when I yeah. when I, I said a lot of really <laughs> bad stuff. <laughs> and I look over, and they're all staring at me. And the cameraman's like, "Dude, <laughs> I'm trying to film here." <laughs> and I think Ed said something like, "That's why they have editing or something like that." He started laughing, but it was a good one, and I lost it, you know. And I didn't lose another fish the rest of the day. We went out onto a hump, and then it was just jigging like I'm used to doing down at Pueblo. And you know, I had a really good day and helped him out, and I learned a lot from him. But that was my first hour on the NWT. So. That's awesome. That, that kind of reminds me of that movie, uh, uh, Happy Gilmore. You ever see Happy Gilmore when yeah. he's cussing on the, on the green yeah. and Leach was like just shaking his head, like, "What are you doing over there?" That's that's funny. That that's that's well, tremendous. This, this, this was a good fish. You know, I could feel him down there shaking his head or shaking her head. You know, so I knew it was a good one. And uh, I didn't, you know, sometimes they get off. You know. Right. And see, I, I tell my kid, my seven-year-old, my oldest son, I always tell him, you know, like, there's things you cry about and there's things you don't cry about. And, and I and I kind of tell him, you know, he, he's, he's too young to learn about a broken heart or something like that. So I don't I leave that out. But I tell him, you know, the only time you cry is if you get hurt, you hurt yourself. It's OK to cry. Or if you lose a big fish. Those are the only times you can cry. Other than that, you can't cry. Yeah. <laughs> I've lost tons of big fish. I mean, it hurts every time you lose one, but. You know, I had, we were talking on Wiper, one of my pages, Wiper Addicts, this this morning, you know, we were talking about striper fishing, and I used to fish for stripers at Smith Mountain Lake, and my summer vacations, there. I'd fish, you know, there two or three times a year, and uh, stripers are every big, just about every big striper I've put, you know. Yeah. I lost the tank right right at the boat, you know. I just wanted to cry, you know. But there's nothing you can do. Sometimes yep. you lose fish. Yep, yep. That's 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 fishing. That's fishing yeah. for sure. Well, Neil, um, 
it sounds. I hope. I hope they get this NWT going, so you can so you can get out there and you know get get to check off what you wanted to check off this year as far as your you know last year's a co angler and hopefully good turn pro next year. Yeah, but, I hope um, so. you know as far as you know with the guiding and whatnot, I I hope that all works itself out in some way, shape, or form. I think it will. I've kept confidence it will. I think eventually, uh, you know, I think. Uh, you know, who knows? I mean, I don't know how long this is going to last, but I'm hoping, you know, I, I'm not going to lose a whole season out of it, I don't think. My, my thing yeah. right now is I got to get through this, you know. I got to do the, everything I can do not to get sick because, you know, I'm susceptible. Anything that has to do with your respiratory system, I've always been susceptible to that. I've, I've had that respiratory flu now three of the last four years, even when I get the shot. And my doctor, you know, she told me, you know, they get doctors get a really um, strong flu shot. And um, she said they gave me the kill everything shot. And she was sick while she was treating me and had been sick for a month. You know, so it's nothing, you know, it's kind of disturbing how some people aren't taking it seriously, you know. Right, right. And I, like, 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 like I really said before, like, it's, just go with the flow. If they're telling you stay home, stay. You have a you have an excuse to not do anything. If you want to go out and go take the dogs for a walk, take the kids to the playground, which I'm probably going to do here here uh, uh, after we get done here. But you know, I mean, and when I say playground around my neighborhood, go for a walk and stuff like that. But other than that, I'm not going anywhere. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to stay home, and it's not. I'm and you got to be like cautious about not just yourself, but other people. You know, you could be sick and it not affect you, but you could get somebody else sick that it might affect, and that's the biggest thing. Yeah, and pe- there's people out there too that may have a liability that they don't know about. They, you know, they have high blood pressure that's untreated. They um, just anything. I mean, you you could get somebody could catch it on a day when their immune system is taking the day off, you know, for whatever reason. Right. You know, right. That's all it takes, you know. So I, you know, until they. I'm hoping that when it warms up, it'll be like the flu that, you know, it'll start dissipating as it gets hot, but who knows? Right, right. Well, thank you for popping on with me today. And yeah. like I said, I hope I hope all this stuff uh, gets taken care of so we can all get back out on the water. And um, uh, if you want to, r- real quick, uh, let folks know out there, I'm going to include all your information in the show notes so they can get it there. But if you want, real quick, if they want to get a hold of you uh, whenever this gets hey. up for a guide trip or, you know, if they want to follow you on Facebook, because your yeah. your wife takes some great pictures out there of, the, of tournament day, great pictures. Yes. She's, a, she's the rock star at the NWT. No one knows who I am, but they all know who Kelly is. Because <laughs> they all want her taking pictures, you know. She's and she does a lot of the pictures now, for, you know, for the next bike guys. They love her, you know. So I'm just some guy that shows up fish. But um, yeah, if they want to reach me, best way really is to um, go on Facebook. I mean, I'm on obviously I'm on, I've got a web page too. But most of my business inquiries comes on Facebook, and it's just Rocky Mountain Adventure Guides. And then we have three sub pages for fishing: uh, Wiper Addict. Pueblo and walleye, Pueblo Reservoir walleye and wiper fishing, and then the Colorado Guide Report. Bernie, uh, Bernie Keith, Brad Peterson, and Randy Ford started last year. It is starting to grow. I checked this morning. I think we have like eighteen hundred members now. But anyway, if we were all guiding right now, we'd be all be posting our daily reports on that. That's a great page if somebody just wants to know what's going on in Colorado. I cover Southeast Colorado. Bernie covers Middle Park. Randy covers that I-70 corridor. And then Brad handles Northeast, you know, basically from Boyd all the way to Sterling. And we're adding people, too, um, as we go along. But anyway, that that keeps me busy right now during the day, too, because I got a lot of knuckleheads that are always posting stuff they're not supposed to be posting. So that's that's what that's what social media or social media, Facebook in general is. Any type of forum, you're gonna have knuckleheads, and that's what sucks. But there's good information there. I just had to take it over finally on all those pages, and it's like now they have they can send their post, and it has to get like at the Pueblo walleye and wiper fishing. You know, it's as, we have to babysit it constantly. And Art Kelm and I, we're we're deleting half a dozen things a day. You know, or you know, people. You know, and so, but uh, 
that we had to do that because if we didn't, you know, if I take two hours away and do something, check that page, I'd be horrified when I'd come back and see what was what people. Oh, they get crazy on there. Well, very much for coming on, and 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 Mike, like I said, if uh, if you want to get a hold of him or you want to go and get information for Colorado, if you're coming to Colorado to fish in anywhere in Colorado, there's the information is there. They run the face Neil runs the Facebook pages. Uh, a lot of great resources uh, to come out and fish in Colorado. Neil, thank you very much. I hope we can get you on again. I hope I hope it's I hope we can get you on and talk pre-tournament before you're going out to your first tournament. That would be awesome be, to have you on and talk about. Yeah, that would be cool. Yeah. Especially before I go to Green Bay, that's the one I'm really look. I I'll be really disappointed if I can't go to Green Bay because last year the weather was just horrendous the whole time I was there, and I didn't. I didn't get to experience the way I I was I, I had hoped. So hopefully this year it's a little later in the summer. It's supposed to be prime time. So anyway, I hope I get to go. I hope we get to go. Hopefully that's that's when we'll talk to you again. I, let's plan on it then. We're gonna okay. plan like it's gonna happen. Well, I mean we might talk to you before then. I'm sure. But uh, uh, other than that, we'll get you on then. Uh, Neil, thank you very much uh, oh, for coming no. on with us today, and uh, stay healthy. Stay yeah. inside until this thing blows over, huh? All right, you too. All right. Thanks, Take Neil. Care, man.